This is Near Death TV. I'm your host, Laura Ketchledge. I'm also an author. In 1979, I became a near-death experiencer. I chose to explain the truth I learned about the afterlife, reincarnation, and near-death experience through my fictional book series, The Near-Death Saga. While dead, I was shown all human beings are shrouded in ignorance by design in order to learn valuable lessons in each incarnation. When you die, the artificial facade falls away and we awaken from the dream into reality. For more information, you can find us at neardeathtv.com. Please join us as we explore the after effects of near-death experience. Hello, and welcome to a new episode of Near Death TV. I'm your host, Laura Ketchledge, and today we have a very interesting uh, guest on. His name is Mike Marable, and he's the author of Why Am, I, Why Am I Here? A Handbook for the Human Experience. Welcome to the show, Mike, and how are you doing? I'm doing great, Laura. Thank, thank you for having me on. Good, good. Um, Mike, this is, this is a, a, a big book and um, has a lot of, lot of insights. Can you share what was your inspiration to write this book? And basically, what is, why am I here? Yeah, isn't that sort of the question we're all asking, uh, the existential question of life itself is why are we here? You know, I think, um, for your listeners, I, I'm not sure your demographics, but you know, there comes a point in your life when you just kind of think about, you know, what's my purpose? Why am I here? Is this all there is? And when you start to ask those questions, it's almost like you're abdicating to some degree your free will. So doors start to open up when people will ask those questions. You know, what's it all about, Alfie? Uh, if you go back far enough, you know what I'm talking about when I say that. But um, so really, that was the impetus for the book was that, um, you know, we come here to the planet and uh, we kind of go through our routines and this sort of consensus reality. But, you know, w what is it all about, really? So uh, I explored that for myself and um, I shared my observations with others, you know, about my life experience and how I came to certain conclusions. So, um, I mean, that everybody's got an opinion, right? But um, I based it on some things that we'll probably talk about during this interview. Well, I think that it is a must read book and we all can find it on Amazon through the joy of Kindle. Uh, <laughs> you know. Thanks for the plug. Uh, Mike, um, when, how old were you when you had your first out-of-body experience? Um, I was 37. It was actually the summer of uh, 1987. Can you tell us, you know, when you went out of body, was this, were you trying to do this? Was this um, a spontaneous event? And, you know, you must have been shocked. So you can you just kind of sum up what happened? Um, well, no, I wasn't shocked. Back during college, I had read um, Robert Monroe's book. So I was I went to Virginia Tech, 
And we had a great bookstore there on campus, uh, right off campus. It wasn't part of the school. And I was perusing the books and I, I saw this thing called Journeys Out of the Body. And it, you know, I opened it up and I ended up buying the book. And uh, I thought it was fascinating, but I put it down. I didn't think much about it, this, you know, until that happened to me in 1987. But it was sort of, you know, having out-of-body experiences is something, you know, we do all the time. It's just whether we remember them or not, that's everybody detaches from their body to a certain degree as they sleep. But do people remember it? Are they lucid about the the process itself? And that's what happened to me is that I became lucid during my out-of-body and then I tried to figure out what I could do. And I remember what Robert Monroe did. So I at least had some kind of guidelines about, you know, what you could actually do with this altered state of consciousness. Well, I think that's fascinating. Do you draw a parallel between near-death experience and out-of-body experience? Um, yeah, I, I mean, I think that near the near-death experience obviously um, you're transported into whatever realm it is that uh, the people that do out-of-body experiences ex experience to some degree. Now, you know, I don't know how far we'll get into this, but, you know, when you, when you think about other realities, other reality systems, really what you're talking about is vibrational frequency. So, like, um, I'll use your radio as analogy. So when you turn your radio on, you might be on 710. Um, if you turn it up, dial up, then you're on a whole nother station and you can't hear that station that you were listening to before. And so that's what happens in out-of-body state or near-death experiences. Any of these, you're, you're basically shifting your frequency. So we live in a very dense frequency here in our earth reality. But in dreams or out-of-body experiences or any other altered states, what you're able to do is somehow overcome this uh, limitation that you have of your mind and be able to shift frequencies. And that's basically what an out-of-body experience is and a near-death experience. So they share that similarity. Yes, and then you, you venture into the non-physical world, which is exciting and a little frightening. Mike, um, in your book, Why Am I Here, can you um, tell us how you explain to the reader how things work in non-physical reality? Well, you know, let me start with a disclaimer here. First of all, I don't know anything for sure. Um, and anybody that writes a book or does a lecture, I mean, they're all, the best they can do is give their impression. So. It's sort of like, have you ever traveled? Uh, have you ever been to Italy or France or Paris? Yes. Yeah, okay. So you read about it before you you went there, right? Yes, of course, yes. Did what you read have, uh, was that helpful for you? Uh, when you actually got there, I mean, when you when you arrived in the location, did it match your expectations of what you read? Kind of, sort of, but not really. <laughs> Being right, there, right, yeah. So more intense, and I'm actually 
asking your impression. I'm not asking you, you know, to recite the gospel, but you know, Mike, you've done so much more than so much of us. So um, your impressions are very valuable to us. Great. Well, thank you. Thank you for that. So, um, and also we're limited by language. So, you know, trying to describe some of these things using the limitations of our, our actual language, because we almost have to think about the word that we're going to combine to be able to describe something that's really undescribable. So we do the best we can. A lot of times it's more about the feeling and the impressions that you get. But I just want to put the disclaimer that um, for the purpose of being someone that goes into other worlds, I really don't want to have a lot of expectations about it because, you know, it, here on earth, we think that um, our impressions, our beliefs, our ideas about things tend to form our reality. Uh, that is much more so when you go into non-physical realms. So allowing your expectations and beliefs uh, to take over can change uh, the reality there. So I try to keep an open mind. But I use the analogy of going to, I'll just use mine for Tuscany. So we went to Tuscany and I'd read all about it. I, you know, I got the, the guidebooks and all of that. And when I got there, I had no idea. I mean, I couldn't even in my imagination come up with the beauty and the magnificence and the taste of the foods and all the experiences that I had. And even though I was there for two weeks, I really only got to sample a really small part of it. Mm -hmm. So I came back and I don't have a fully uh, formed impression of Tuscany and I certainly don't have a fully formed impression of other dimensions. Yes, but you've been there and you remember. So that is the key. <laughs> yeah, I do. I do. I've had, I was trying, I thought you might ask me this question. So I was thinking, how you many, know, how many excursions? <laughs> <laughs> so I was trying to think, how many have I had conservatively? Mm -hmm. So I, I figured out over 30 years, I probably have had 50 a year. So you know, that that's quite a few excursions. But lately, over the past three years, I've been doing a lot more of it because I'm writing another book on this very subject. So I've been, you know, actively trying to do this. And if you set an attention and you have a will, and it's kind of amazing that you get non-physical helpers that are really interested in helping you with your book. So I've been doing a lot more of it. Well, I think we all have our own cheerleading team on the other side. That's that's just me. <laughs> um, so, Mike, you know, um, people would like to know what your impression is, and with the tripa, that they kind of want to know the nitty gritty. Um, and the devil is in the details, my friend. Um, so, do you think that there are, you know, um, as you leave your physical reality? You go into other dimensions, and each dimension progresses to less and less dense. Do you agree with that? Um, yeah, I mean, that's a good way to describe it. It, it. Like I said, it's all about frequency. So each, I mean, there are unlimited number of realms there. So it's, you know, it's really hard to, um, I mean, the ones that I go into, uh, I mean, that could just be a very small sample of, 
of the millions of different realities that are there. And, um, you know, I, we call them consensus realities. I'm, I'm stealing that from William Buhlman, uh, that term, because I think that guy is spot on. Uh, but, you know, each reality, um, were you surprised that they were more thought responsive than physical reality? Um, you know, some of them are denser and they're, they're more parallel to our earth reality here. Um, you know, I think Rudolf Steiner talked about what we call the borderlands, which kind of overlap some of the frequencies of reality. And when people go across and they don't quite make a smooth transition, they can get kind of bogged down in that lower vibrational frequencies and stay there because, you know, time is, we, the era of time for us is always, you know, we kind of have a sense of time here, but time there is totally different. You don't have a sense of time. So you don't know how long you're, you're staying in those places. And, you know, as, as I told you, you know, I do kind of psychopomp work, um, or I guess what you would call sh shaman work in that I go and do uh, rescues from the more denser places in that consen uh, consensus realities mm -hmm. to try to get them to weigh stations. And human beings like myself, and I'm not the only one, there, there are quite a few of us that, that do this, I found out after I went to the Monroe Institute uh, to their Lifeline program. And um, we help people across and get out of that consensus reality that is denser and move on to some of the higher realities. But, you know, we don't, here's one of the misconceptions I think that some people have about, you know, what the deathing experience is, is you don't cross over and suddenly you're an enlightened being. I mean, whatever stuff you got going on, uh, you've got right after you die. So I don't know if that bothers any people to hear that or not, but um, whatever you whatever you have here, you got there. Well, I think this uh, book, Why Am I Here, is going to be a must-read for many of the listeners. What do you try to explain in this book? Um, well, when I had my opening experience back in 1987, um, if I could backtrack just for a second, kind of give you the origin story of this. So, so in 1987, I was, I was like 30 some years old, maybe 37 years old. I was having a great time. I was driving a BMW, I had a great job. Everything was going great. Uh, life was good. And, um, I had a awakening experience, um, just total one with the universe. Uh, I don't know why I had it. Uh, there wasn't anything going on that would have promoted it or prompted it. So, um, and in that period, I had like minutes where my personality went away and I had the understanding of my, I guess you call true self. And uh, then it closed back up. And then over the next 12 years, I had uh, what I found out later to be called a Kundalini opening. So um, that was that was quite the ordeal. Uh, if any of your listeners know anything about that, um, 
it's funny people say they want to have that type of experience i go well if you do you need a whole lot of uh, spare time on your hands and lots of resources to be able because your your life is turned upside down not unlike somebody that's had a near-death experience in fact people who had near-death experiences i gravitated toward because um you know, they could sort of understand because of the paradigm shift that their lives went through as a result of their experience. Mine was not unlike that. You know, once you kind of see behind the facade of reality, it's it's hard to go back home again. Oh, exactly. I had my near death in 1979, and all the listeners know that. And I felt the, the, such an isolation and so separate from other people. That's why I'm doing this show, Mike, is that I think, you know, you want to hear common sense people that have gone through an experience. You don't want to hear wackadoos, you know, uh, try to drum in their philosophy in your brain on the, you know, when you, when you <laughs> listen to the podcast. You want to hear open-minded, fair-minded people, and that's kind of what I strive for in the show. So, Mike, why? why? Because I... Uh, I want other people who've gone through what I've gone through, NDE or out-of-body experience, to have a place to listen, to learn, and not to be isolated. That's my, my right, exactly. And, and, and the question you had asked, yeah, I wanted to give a little bit of the origin story of that, was that what I'd learned through my opening and then the subsequent years of you know, out-of-body experiences, I put in that book. And, um, you know, I think that there's some important points in the book. Um, the next book I'm writing, if people want to know more about experiences that I've had and what's going on in the other realms, you know, uh, not unlike Manuel Swedenborg or if they've read the Seth materials or Robert Monroe's book or Rudolf Steiner's, you know, all of us bring back information from what we find there. Because when you think about it, the, I guess the most important day of your life is when you, you're born, but a close second might be the day that you, you go back over. Yes. Now I think, you know, um, as you, you know, after 50, you know, this is sort of the last chapter of our lives. Um, I think, uh, Mike, do you agree with me that um, people should prepare for the transition after death? I mean, you know, if we were taking a trip to Alaska, we'd be packing winter clothes and getting a map. But as so many people don't prepare for the tra next transition, you know, after death, um, can you elaborate on that? Oh, yeah. I mean, that's kind of what I'm all about in this stage of my life is helping people sort of understand that. So I'm glad you brought that up. Yeah. So, um, as you said, you know, we, we if we're going to take a trip, um, some people who are particularly fastidious might, you know, prepare for every trip before they go to the supermarket. Uh, they make their list. Uh, they they know what aisles they're going to be going to. They go to the supermarket. They know but they don't give anywhere near that amount of thought to what happens, you know, when they make their transition back to go back home. So, um, you know, one of the main things that you want to do is make amends 
you know, don't leave any loose ends if you can help it mm-hmm. on this side. If if you have grievances, you might want to resolve them. Uh, you don't want any regrets. You know, you're going to take those with you. Um, and it's good to get as much of that done as you can. And just more on the practical sense, you know, just make sure all your financial loose ends are tied up so you don't worry about them when you cross over. Um, because, you you know, I mean, it, sometimes people do. And there are reasons why people hang around and they don't make a smooth transition. And these are among them. And the other one is, of course, they don't realize that they're that they've died, you know. So if some of your listeners are familiar with like uh, what the Tibetans call bardo, um, and again, I'm limited by language, so I say something like kundalini or bardo or all that. I don't really have any Eastern philosophy background, but I just use the words because those are the only ones that I have. But there is a state where you if you cross over you can go into a sort of a dream state and stay there for a while um and uh, you want to avoid that if not so being lucid in your life being lucid in dreams being lucid in your obe experiences help prepare you for that and there are lots of people who do practitioner work out there to sort of prepare people for that and um there's, uh, I can't remember the guy's name, but he wrote a book called Dream Yoga, which I think is great. Um, and he does retreats. And I think that people can prepare themselves for this. And we are actually, um, when babies come into the world, um, the, if they sleep all the time because they're getting themselves acclimated to this new reality system. Um, Likewise, when people are sick and they're close to transitioning and going to leave the planet, they sleep a lot. You know, really old people might start sleeping 12 hours a night. Again, they're getting themselves acclimated for going back into that other reality. But never forget this. We are dual citizens of both realities. So um, and we're constantly there through our dreams. So if you want to know what you're after death experience is going to be like, and this might scare some people, pay attention to your dreams. What are your dreams like? What are your dream settings like? What issues are you finding that seem to be unresolved, you know, that your dreams are calling for you to work on? These are all preparations for going over into the other reality. So it's a continuation. It's not a start and stop. It it's all connected. I think that, you know, it, it's, a, you know, physical reality is an exquisite uh, school, you know, learning place that uh, we all have mandatory attendance. Um, Mike, I was wondering, you know, what was your most out of body, the most surprising uh, event? Did you run into someone that you'd known that a uh, loved one? Did you get any interesting messages? Did you get any special insights when you returned? It's a big question, but uh, I think you have a lot of answers. Uh, well, I have answers for me. I don't know if I have answers for anybody else, but um, you know, there's two parts of why people do OBE stuff. One is obviously it's interesting. Um, 
your fear of death obviously is not going to be as palpable. Um, but it's fascinating. I mean, it's an amazing way to, I, I, I still don't take it for granted, even though I've been doing it a long time and, and can move in and out of worlds pretty easily, but uh, it still fascinates me. It's, it's highly interesting. I mean, if somebody said, I can put you on a rocket ship and take you to, to Mars, I would say, no, that's okay. I already been to Mars. Um, <laughs> I, I I think it's one of the most interesting things you can do. Uh, as far as experiences that I've had, the, the most profound experiences I have had are in my rescues, you know, in helping other people that uh, don't know they're dead uh, get to way stations where uh, there are guides there that can help them. And I think that's the most fascinating. Um, there's one personal incident. Um, I helped my father across. Can I tell you that story? Oh, I'd love to hear it. The listeners would really, really find this meaningful. Please share. So my, my father, I went to, he was going to be cremated, and I went to his memorial service, and I was going to do the eulogy for him. And that very moment, I was staying at a friend's house, and that very moment, I had an out-of-body experience. And I was in sort of a dark place. There was no light in it. And I was standing there, and all of a sudden, I looked over, and there was my father. But I didn't recognize him because he didn't look the same. He looked like he was in his late 20s. And the only reason I knew it was him was because I had seen pictures of him when he was young. So I go over to him, and he's wrapped in sort of a shroud, and he's he's out of it. I mean, he, he you can look in his eyes and tell he doesn't know where he is or what's going on, and he's not aware of my presence. So I go over, and I, I put my hands on his shoulder, and I say, Dad. And all of a sudden, that recognition, he sees me and that look of recognition in his eyes. And he looks at me and he says, I'm so cold. And I said, Dad, you, you don't realize it, but you've, you've died. And, and then he remembered. You could, you could kind of look on his face and tell that he remembered. So I didn't know how long I could stay out of body. And I didn't want to miss this opportunity to help him. So I took him in my arms and I raised him up and he floated up above me. And then he, when he got about 10 feet above me, he took off like a rocket and this blackness opened up and it was like a, a rainbow, like a portal. And he flew through it like the fastest jet you've ever seen. And then it closed back up and that was it. Oh my gosh. So I, so I got to actually help my father cross over. Now, skeptics can say, oh, well, you, you missed your father and you're into all this stuff and all of that. And I totally understand that. I, you know, I, I dismiss other people's experiences because they're not mine, no matter how strange they, they may be. They're not my experiences. So for your listeners, I can tell you that somebody that's done this hundreds of times, this was the real deal. And that's probably the most profound experience of my life. And maybe, who knows, 
the reason why I can even do this at all. I think what you did was the most loving act a son could do for the father and to know that you helped him and got him going in the literally the right uh, direction. I found now, I, I, I'm sure you have found also uh, that when you are out of body, it is more real, real than physical reality. Do you concur? Um, I, no, I mean, I don't, I don't get the sense that it's more real. So I think when near people had near death experiences come back and they talk about a vividness, um, you know, I live in a really beautiful place. Um, I'm sitting by the ocean right now talking to you. So my reality is filled with lots of beautiful things here in Southern California. So my my consensus reality is probably the best that you could probably get here on earth. And I've traveled a lot and I've done a lot of things and I've seen some of the most beautiful sights. And um, so for me, uh, when I go into other reality systems, uh, I find them to be not unlike the earth environments that I've experienced. Mm -hmm. So, um, I don't really have that sense of it's more real than real. Uh, did you have that in your experience? Yes, yes I did. I felt more of I mean, it's more like I could see better. I could hear better. I mean, I felt an intensity that is not in this physical reality level, but also, um, you know, my health is diminished. So I felt healthy there. Maybe that was the contrast. Yeah, I I mean, I think, like I said, there are so many different levels to other reality systems that, you know, when people say they have a near-death experience, they kind of filter it through their own belief systems. Um, you know, all of the gentlemen that I had mentioned, Rudolf Steiner and Swedenborg and, and Monroe, they all carried their own belief systems. Edgar Casey, for instance, you know, very religious man, kind of viewed everything in that sense. So, like I said, when you cross over, you kind of interpret things based on what your belief systems are. Oh, and when you come back, you explain it in those terms. So some people see Jesus or they see the white light or whatever. You know, I mean, people have different kinds of experiences. I'm, um, I'm more like an... EMT, you know, like emergency technician. <laughs> when okay. I go, I got work, I've got work to do. Um, the other part of it, the recreational part that I do is time travel. So, and that's what I'm writing my next book about is how to manipulate through the different timelines using the out of body experience or loose and lucid dreams. Um, so I do that for recreation. And when I get to that, those periods, they are incredible and they're, you know, they're beyond any reality that I could even have imagined. So Mike, I don't do know if that answers your question. Book? Do you have a title? I got, I have a working title. I'm not happy with it, but I, so I'm not going to say it, but okay. um, you know, I'm looking for inspiration for it because, you know, there's so many books out there. We don't have enough time to read all of them. So I try to write, I'm trying to write this more as a niche book for people that are interested in time travel and OBE. So th this book is pretty much for those people. 
Well, um, how about I am going to invite you when you launch your next book, I'll invite you back on the show. We can talk about it then. Does that sound like a good idea? Uh, I'm all yours. <laughs> Very few men say that to me, but thank you. Uh, okay, <laughs> on a serious level, um, when you have been to these uh, consensus realities and you're not on a retrieval mission, you, know, you see these beautiful earth-like uh, places, have you run into people, talk to other uh, souls that are there? Oh, yeah, all the time. Yeah. Do, you, um, do they look, are they in a form? Are they in um, a spirit like an orb? Or are they have a physical, looks like they have a complete uh, copy of their physical body? Um, they look they're dressed in clothes there and some of them know they're in consensus realities which is interesting too mm -hmm. um yeah i mean some of these realities that i've gone to i mean they have shopping malls they're like the coolest shopping malls you've ever seen um i've seen pictures of singapore and dubai and you know some of the amazing places that they built there they're not nothing like anything that i've seen here in my in this consensus reality of earth but um yeah there's a reality for whatever you want to do um i i've gone to places where artists uh tend to congregate and congr and people that have a particular kind of art that they like and they create that art with others and then there's places for musicians and I play the guitar and I, I feel like I have the soul of a musician even though I'm not very good but when I go to those realities there's like music like it's it's amazing it's, it's the most beautiful stuff I've ever seen and I wish I was a better musician so I could come back and just bring it back in this reality like Mozart did so a lot, a lot of artists I think you know got their inspiration through their dreams and they were able to bring that back into this reality and uh, created some of the most beautiful ideas, scientific ideas and art and all of that comes from, you know, other realities that we bring back with us. You know, like I said, we're a dual citizen. As you are listening to me right now, Laura, part of you is in that other reality system. So yeah. we are, per our reality is permeable and we're more aware of it during our dream life than at any other time. But don't forget that we're doing it right at this moment too. Mike, do you feel like your higher self is kind of steering the boat there? Uh, no, I, I, I don't really have any theories about higher self. Um, okay. I, um, I don't really get a sense of any higher self or anything like that. Have you seen um, any uh, inclination towards like, uh, you've done this before, past lives? Have you seen souls of yourself? Well, um, one of the things that I do is, um, so I'm very aware of parallel lives going on right now, choices that I've made um past timeline so i don't i don't have a sense of reincarnation i don't look at reincarnation to me looks at time as sort of a linear thing 
and I, I don't look at it that way. I look at it like all time is going on right now. So, um, and that quantum physics backs that up. So uh, I, I have a sense of myself in other timelines. And sometimes when I time travel, I feel like I'm going back into the persona of that person that lived in that particular time. Does that make sense? Do you feel like, is it there, I don't mean to interrupt, Mike, is there a familiarity when you travel? Uh, sometimes, yes. Uh, during the Revolutionary War, that period, I really, I really get a sense of that, you know, that I was around during that time. And I also think that, it, I mean, if you think about it, Laura, all of our DNA contains the programming of all of our ancestors. So, you know, on a quantum level, you know, all of our atoms floating and subatomic particles floating around inside of us are timeless. You know, they can pop in and out of other reality systems at will. Well, that's what we're constructed of. And also our DNA is our programming. So why wouldn't we have all of those programs, all of those engrams of our ancestors contained in our DNA and those things could start to assert themselves in the non-physical when we loosen, you know, our attachment to our physical body. Why wouldn't that be available to us? You know, and that's, again, that's for another book. <laughs> it is. I mean, we're getting, we're getting a love course here, but it's very, very fascinating. So, uh, Mike, you know, with all your experiences, do you have you formulated an intent a plan when you make your transition do you know where you want to go after you leave your physical body for the last time um you know i am one of these fly by your seat of the pants kind of guy so i may give the advice to others you know to plan well but because i've spent so much time over there i'll probably just go and uh uh just I'm a big proponent of asking the locals where the best sites are when I travel. I don't know about you. So what's the best restaurants? What are the best realities to go to? I'll probably do a lot of that. That may not be what your listeners uh, would want to do. But I know one thing that I'm going to do for sure is that I'm going to have um, a guide waiting for me. So if you travel to another country uh, and you have somebody waiting for you at the airport with your name on it. You know, that's the way I'm going to kind of cross over is that there's going to be a guide there waiting for me. And I highly recommend that to people that, that when you, you know, you start arranging that. And if there is something you want to do. Now, some people build houses. They actually come up with their dream house. Uh, did you ever see that movie, What Dreams May Come? Yes, I thought that was really you know, super Catholic guilt, but it was pretty creative. Well, there's a scene in there about, you know, there's this incredible house and, you know, he finds out that he had been building that in his, uh, in his uh, dreams. And um, there are some people that do that. They actually plan out their whole afterlife and they build a house and then they, they kind of have a life similar to what they have only now but only better i think that that that's uh very doable 
Mike, let me tell you something about me. If I, theoretically, if I died and there was two doors I could go through and one said heaven and one said the lecture on heaven, I'd go to the lecture on heaven because I'm <laughs> a detailed person. I can't fly. I love that. Pants, you know, I think a lot of people are like me. You know, we just kind of want to have the, you know, the kit ready to go. Uh, and I think it's, it's, uh, nice and uh, uh, refreshing to talk to you because you're very humble and you're uh, very modest about your great accomplishments. I think we all need to have some humility in this and a little bit of humor because, you know, we're talking about things that uh, a lot of people just haven't experienced or talked about. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, um... I think curiosity, um, someone asked me one time, what, what is it about yourself that you would never want to give up or, or you most appreciate? And I said, my curiosity, because without that, life would have been a really long, hard slog. <laughs> so my curiosity has gotten me to the point where I can do this, I'm sure. Um, and, you know, if I were to give anybody any advice um i'm always reluctant to do that but i would say that you know just become as lucid in your life as you possibly can but it, what i mean is become conscious um live recognize that you have a foot in both worlds and uh get acquainted with that other world through your dreams you know rem first step is just remember your dreams and then start to learn from that um, and share the fact that your physical and non-physical, that duality is going on all the time. You're, you're part of both realities already. So when you die, you are as alive. The moment after your heart stops and your last breath, you are as live as you ever were. Well, it's a delicate dance, I think, that we all uh, experience between uh, the dimensions and uh, go to during our uh, sleep state. Um, how many people have you uh, spoken with that are kind of on your same level or having your same type of journey? Do you think this happens to very many people? You know, I have no idea. I don't know how rare this is. Um, I don't tend to hang around the psycho-spiritual community. I did when I had my awakening because I was trying to find other people like me and I was yeah. sorely disappointed. There, were, there, there wasn't anybody like me. And, and I think even people that have near-death experiences, they think that they're, they're joining some community of people that are like them, but we, our experiences are also different. Yes. And even though we've had similar experiences, we, often can't even relate to each other, even though we've had a similar experience like that because they're so different. Well, Mike, I think there's a lot of people uh, like myself that had uh, the near-death experience or out-of-body and didn't speak about it. I didn't speak about it for 30 years. Now, that's a long time. I channeled it into novels because it was just, you know, it was just happening. It's like I couldn't put the lid on it. Uh, but I think there's a lot of people that, you know, they have very serious jobs. They could be a lawyer or a doctor, um, and they would be 
uh, horrified if, if their little uh, secret uh, got out because um, people are so discrediting and quite cruel in the media if you have a different experience than the norm. Do you agree with that? Um, I hear that. Uh, I've never felt that from day one. I would tell anybody that would I could get them to listen. I, I'd, I honestly don't care what people think, and I've always been that way. But I, I understand that there are people who feel like that, like their reputations. Sure. Uh, people won't take them seriously. You know, Thoreau said, you know, talked about, you know, being inoculated to the good opinion of others, you know, uh, I've, I've sort of been that way. I'm, I kind of fly on my own path, but uh, I, I know that that exists. And one of your guests, you had Raymond Moody on, right? Uh, yes, we, we had half, I've done half an interview with him. I'm going to do the other half soon. Yeah. I mean, thank, thank goodness for him and people like Elizabeth Kubler-Ross and, you know, I was fortunate that all of these people were around. I lived in Virginia, and, and Dr. Ross was living there. In fact, she was in my Lifeline program at uh, the Monroe Institute. And uh, Raymond Moody, I've met a couple of times. And when I first had my opening, uh, PMH Atwater was in Richmond, Virginia. Someone had her over to their home, and I went over and went, met her. I saw that she's uh, you've interviewed her as well. Oh, so great. there are pioneers out there that have kind of made people feel more comfortable about this. And, um, you know, God bless them. I think that it was very courageous of Dr. Moody because, you know, not, you know, he's a medical doctor and psychiatrist. I mean, you know, uh, for him to write life after life and do what he is, I, you know, I told him, I said, you know what, you're my hero, and I wish I'd read your book in 1979. <laughs> I, <laughs> I finally went he, to a therapist in New York, you know, when I was 25, and I just blurted about all these things that had happened to me because I'd been keeping it in for like <laughs> seven years, and she gave me a copy of uh, uh, Robert Monroe's book. And she didn't discredit me at all. She had, you know, other people like me. And it was like, finally, I got a lifeline. It took years. But, you know, we need these brave pioneers to come out uh, and, you know, open things up and get this dialogue going. Um, nobody, um, Mike, I, I don't believe anybody who's had an out-of-body experience, a near-death experience, ever wants to be labeled a wackadoo. The one thing I do love is as I get older, the less embarrassed I could ever be. <laughs> and, and you, you know, Laura, to that point, like uh, talking about Dr. Moody at the University of Virginia, they have the DOPS program, which, you know, studies all this stuff, um, past lives, um, all of that. And it's been going on for, you know, 40 years. And all around the world, there are all kinds of scientific research being done. Here in the United States, we, you know, we had the Rhine Center. I don't know. I don't think that's still operational, but that sort of kicked off a lot of it. And um, yeah, so there's a lot of scientific research going on into this. So it's not just uh, a bunch of lay people like, your, like yourself and myself out there doing this. So it has a lot of credibility. 
Yeah. And uh, there are, and and there are scientists and you know people that, I mean, they're starting to have NDEs and they come back and they go, hey, I don't know what this was, but I got to tell you about it. I think you had Evan Alexander on, yeah. uh, t- talking about. Thank you for listening. The Near Death Saga books, Near Death Connection, Throwaway Horses, and Reincarnation Connection can all be found on Amazon. Or you can go to theneardeathsaga.com to read book previews. For more Near Death TV interviews, go to neardeathtv.com. Thank you.